Hey there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, a little podcast where every season we pick six movies built around a common theme, and uh, we drive them right into the Pick 6 garage, we kick the tires on them, maybe goof on them a little bit, and we share a little bit of information with you, the listener. This is season nine, and we've made it all the way to episode five. We are one episode away from the grand finale. And when we're talking about Stephen King movies, which is what we've been talking about in this season entitled Hail to the King, Baby, you might think the grand poobah, the grand finale, would be the movie directed by Stephen King himself. And that, of course, is Maximum Overdrive, the movie we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, that's right, it's not even the finale. So, look, me, Bo Ransdell, and my best pal, Chad Cooper, are about to serve you up a heapin' helpin' a silly with this movie, Maximum Overdrive, here in a second. But first, uh, like we do with every uh, show, we're going to start with an introduction. And uh, so, anyway, here we go. Um, Before Angus Young of ACDC donned his patented schoolboy outfit, he had tried, variously, a gorilla suit, a Superman costume, and a Zorro mask. But one night in the spring of 1974, Angus Young was very drunk. Oh, wait, what? Oh, Chad's doing the intro. Right, right. Okay, yeah, no, forget everything you heard. Don't learn anything about ACDC. Here's Chad. Brian De Palma, Stanley Kubrick, George A. Romero, David Cronenberg, John Carpenter, Rob Reiner, Frank Darabont, Andy Muschietti, that's a lot of good directors. They what? Yeah, some of the best motion pictures that were based on Stephen King novels. What about this other list of names? Toby Hooper, Brian Singer, Lawrence Kasdan. Who else is there? Tom Holland, David Coep, Mary Lambert, Brett Leonard, Mark Pavia, Fritz, Fritz, how do you say his name? Fritz Kirsch, Todd Williams, Michael Gornick. I don't even recognize half of those names. So what? Terrible ones. Well, that's probably why I don't recognize them. What's that? Well, that's your opinion, Dylan. No. No, that's definitely not true. You, you know, Dylan, who's the pick six movies intern and who's the handsome host with the velvet voice? Yeah, that's right. Keep that in mind when you're editing this introduction. If you want me to sign off on that piece of paper so you can get your course credit. Yeah, edit all this out in post or whatever you call it. Yeah, post. Look, this is the Stephen King season. Make it sound professional for God's sake. All right, three, two, one. There are two types of Stephen King cinematic adaptations. The really good ones and everything else. In this season, I know what you're thinking. Hey, they didn't include any of the really good movies. That's because, well, they're really good movies. And that's not what we do on this podcast. For what it's worth, we did include The Running Man, which, at the time of this recording, has a 61% freshness over at Rotten Tomatoes, garnering it the coveted 
bright red fresh tomato. Now, how did that sneak in here? Dylan, leave me a note to email the staff at Rotten Tomatoes regarding their dubious rating system. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Looking at the library of movie adaptations of Stephen King-inspired works, there are some classic motion pictures helmed by some of the best directors of the past 30 years. Stand By Me and Misery were both directed by Rob Reiner. Reiner's directing career in the 1980s and 90s was phenomenal as he delivered unto the world This Is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, and The American President. Rob Reiner recently directed Woody Harrelson in LBJ, a film about a Spanish prostitute who... Dylan, did you write this? I can't understand you when you're laughing and talking. Edit this all together. We're, we're a professional podcast, for God's sake. Three, two, one. Rob Reiner recently directed Woody Harrelson in LBJ, a film about Lyndon Baines Johnson. Brian De Palma started his career with the adaptation of Carrie. De Palma would later go on to direct Scarface, The Untouchables, and the very first Mission Impossible. George A. Romero helmed the anthology Creepshow. This was after he set the standard for all zombie movies to come with Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. He'd later go on to make Day of the Dead. And he worked on other Stephen King adaptations, including Creepshow 2 and The Dark Half. David Cronenberg directed Christopher Walken in Bo's favorite, The Dead Zone. Before making that film, Cronenberg directed Scanners, and he would go on to cast Jeff Goldblum in the remake of The Fly. He also made the really weird Naked Lunch, and he made that movie Crash about a bunch of people that get off sexually as it relates to them watching cars crashing. Dylan, seriously, you've got to stop giggling. It is very distracting. I can I can really hear it. Three, two, one. John Carpenter was at the helm of Christine. Carpenter, of course, directed the original Halloween and the remake of The Thing and The Fog. He also made Big Trouble in Little China and Starman and They Live. Bo did a really awesome introduction about John Carpenter on our episode about Memoirs of an Invisible Man. You should really go check that out if you missed the episode. In the 1990s, Frank Darabont stepped up and adapted The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. If you've never seen The Shawshank Redemption, go turn on TBS and it's probably playing right now. Darabont would later return to adapt The Mist in 2007, and it's emotionally devastating and brilliant all at the same time. And most recently, Andy Muschietti directed a new interpretation of It that was so well-conceived that that film broke the movie into two separate parts. It Chapter 1 currently has an 86% freshness rating over on Rotten Tomatoes, and It Chapter 2 has a lower rating of 63% freshness. It, nobody cares that you like the first one better than the second one, Dylan. Nobody, n- nobody definitely cares. Nobody cares what your girlfriend thought either. You've got to stop interrupting me. I've got to finish this introduction. Three, two, one. But quality adaptations were not always the rule when you look at the complete library of films based on Stephen King's work. And some of these Stephen King cinematic stinkers were produced and directed by some pretty talented people. Apt Pupil is a film about a kid who discovers that his neighbor is a Nazi war criminal. That movie stars Ian McKellen as the Nazi neighbor in question. Brad Renfro plays the boy who discovers the Nazi neighbor. And David Schwimmer plays the boy's dad 
who has this high diddly arius mustache in the movie. The film was not that well reviewed by critics or received by the public, and it was directed by Brian Singer, who prior to this film directed The Usual Suspects and the original X-Men and its sequel X2 and X-Men First Class and X-Men Days Future Past. Then he directed Bohemian Rhapsody and then hmm, doesn't, doesn't look like he has a whole lot lined up after that. I'm, I'm sure he'll have a new movie in the works anytime soon. The original adaptation of Pet Cemetery and its sequel, Pet Cemetery 2, each strong contenders for this season of Pick 6 movies, well, these movies were directed by Mary Lambert. Lambert rose to fame by directing early music videos for Madonna and Janet Jackson and Chris Isaac and Annie Lennox and The Go-Go's and Whitney Houston and Motley Crue and just about everybody. She went on to direct 2005's Urban Legends, Bloody Mary, and in 2011, she directed the sci-fi original film, Mega Python vs. Gatoroid. Uh, moving on. Lawrence Kasdan, you know him, right? Well, if you don't know him, you know the movies that he's written and directed. The Big Chill and Silverado. Kasdan wrote the screenplays for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Body Heat. And he was a screenwriter for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And surprise, surprise, they brought him in to work on that Force Awakens movie. And he came in to do his best to salvage that standalone Han Solo movie. Kasdan's one of the most talented writers and directors of the last 30 years in Hollywood. Well, and then he wrote and directed the adaptation of Dreamcatcher. That movie wasn't very good. Toby Hooper directed Robert England in The Mangler. You didn't see that one? Don't. Then there were all those Children of the Corn sequels and The Lawnmower Man and its sequel, and there was The Night Flyer, which was actually going to be in this season, but I literally couldn't find a copy of it to watch without having to order it from overseas. During the 1980s and through the early 2000s, a lot of well-meaning, or let's call them somewhat well-meaning people, got their hands on Stephen King work and just didn't do them the justice that they deserve. And as a writer, that's got to be tough to see your words and ideas twisted and misinterpreted so badly for the silver screen. And honestly, there's just one way for any author to minimize the visual interpretation of the written work into the medium of cinema. you got to direct the movie yourself. And that's exactly what Stephen King did when he made the film Maximum Overdrive. The film was based on a short story titled Trucks, which was included in the collection of short stories titled Night Shift. The narrative theme of the film centers on man's reliance to machinery and technology. One day, the Earth crosses through the tail of a comet, and all the machines on Earth spring to life and start killing everybody. But we'll get to all that when Bo shows up here in a few minutes. He's... He's where? Well, which Boost Mobile? On the, the one on East Cranview or the one over across from that Jack in the Box? Oh, crap. Well, well then we got we to gotta wrap this up. Okay. Three, two, one. Maximum Overdrive stars a young Emilio Estevez who was fresh off The Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire. Estevez is the son of Hollywood screen legend Martin Sheen and brother of Charlie... Winning Sheen. Whatever happened to Charlie Sheen? Say what? Who did he marry? That sounds pretty good. Oh, that part sounds awful. Oh, that sounds even worse. Oh my god. Yeah, send me the link to that. I want to read that later. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. In addition to the Sheen son, who is not a complete and total train wreck, Emilio Estevez was joined on screen by a cast of actors you mostly don't recognize from anything. 
Pat Hingle, who was Commissioner Gordon in those first two Batman movies with Michael Keaton, well, Hingle's in this film, Yeardley Smith, who's the voice of Lisa Simpson, she's in there, Laura Harrington plays the female lead, and she was in Buckaroo Banzai, J.C. Quinn plays Duncan, Quinn was in Chud, and a bunch of other stuff you've never heard of. You see where I'm going with all this. The movie basically had one star in front of the camera and one superstar behind the camera. And that superstar, Stephen King, he was also a huge fan of ACDC. He met the band and he personally asked them to provide the music for this film, going so far as to offer them roles in the movie. However, ACDC declined. Reportedly, it was Stephen King's start-to-finish live performance of Ain't No Fun Waiting Around to Be a Millionaire from ACDC's 1976 album, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, which Stephen King himself sang in front of the band that prompted them to agree to contribute to the movie's soundtrack. ACDC performed all but two songs featured in the film, and the 1986 album, Who Made Who, is actually the soundtrack to the movie. And the movie features two unreleased mixes of You Shook Me All Night Long. And when the movie came out, most music stores were oblivious that the album Who Made Who was actually a soundtrack for the film Maximum Overdrive. Most people just thought it was an ACDC Greatest Hits album. Dino De Laurentiis was the executive producer on the film. Boy, his name keeps coming up on this podcast again and again. And the movie was filmed mostly right outside Wilmington, North Carolina. It was here that the Dixie Boy truck stop was constructed as the filming location. Reportedly, it looked so authentic that truckers tried to stop in to get some food and some fuel. The authenticity of the set prompted producers of the movie to put announcements in the local papers to let people know that the Dixie Boy was actually just a movie set and not a functioning truck stop. I'm sure that worked like a charm. The film featured an iconic 18-wheeler that was adorned with the face of the Green Goblin from the Marvel comic book universe. After filming was complete, the Green Goblin truck was relocated to Silent Rick's Towing and Salvage in Wilmington, North Carolina. The truck suffered a lot of damage during filming to the Green Goblin's jaw and teeth. The tongue was all jacked up and the tops of his pointy green ears were broken off. A lot of the head was really burnt up but John Allison of Wilmington, North Carolina saw it and he purchased it. Then he later sold the head to Tim Shockey of Piketon, Ohio in 1987. Tim took the oversized Green Goblin head and he did what you'd expect him to do. He displayed it in his video rental store, Uncle Jim's Video Land in Waverly, Ohio. But Tim eventually sold that video rental store and he moved the Green Goblin head to where else? His backyard for a couple of decades. Then he put it in his garage and then in 2011, he decided to restore it. Two years later and after a lot of nights and weekends, Tim got the Green Goblin head back to its original maximum overdrive production quality level. And he now travels around showing it off at horror and comic cons. I love a happy ending. Maximum Overdrive came out and it wasn't well received by the critics. One bright spot did come from Joe Perlis of the New York Times, who complimented the movie by saying, Mr. King's movie of his own screenplay takes place in Wilmington, North Carolina, a locale that allows him to indulge in almost every dumb redneck stereotype. Except one, there's no racial tension. Variety called it the kind of film audiences want to talk back to. And Paul Atanzio of the Washington Post wrote that the film is like sitting alongside a three-year-old as he skids his Tonka trucks across the living room floor and says, Wee! Except on a somewhat grander scale. 
He also added that director Stephen King, quote, proves he hasn't got an ounce of visual style, the vaguest idea of how to direct actors, and the sense that God gave a grapefruit, end quote. The movie did go on to receive two Golden Raspberry nominations, Worst Actor for Emilio Estevez and Worst Director for Stephen King. And yes, I did say nominations, because Prince won both of those awards for his work in front of and behind the camera on the movie Under the Cherry Moon. Stephen King later admitted that he was coked out of his mind the entire time he was making this picture and often didn't know what he was doing. In an interview discussing Under the Dome in 2013, Stephen King admitted that this was the worst adaptation of his work and at one point called Maximum Overdrive a moron movie. Come on, is Maximum Overdrive really as bad as the guy who wrote, directed, and acts in the movie? Is there anything about this film that tells a tale of man's reliance on machine that rings true to our contemporary plastic fantastic 24 hour a day news cycle cell phone obsessed world? How strange is it to hear Lisa Simpson's voice coming out of a real human being's mouth? And is being coked out of your mind a good excuse for making a bad movie? Well, there's just one way to answer these questions and many, many more. Let's get Bowen here to discuss this comet tail nightmare causing cinematic masterpiece of horror. Ladies and gentlemen, ACs and DCs, it's 1986's Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, I, yeah I, after you edit all this down, send your intern participation form to my assistant and Diane will sign that for you. Yeah, she, know, she knows how to sign my name. She, she does it all the time. Dylan, t- take all of that up with Diane, okay? I have to go record the show now with Bo, all right? Okay, thanks, Dylan. Oh, my God. Interns. And welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and I am joined with the energetic, the electric, the incredibly kinetic Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I am the maximist of overdrives tonight, <laughs> Chad. And and I say tonight because we record this tonight, and also because if you're listening at home or in your car or wherever, and it's not night, turn this off. And then you wait for the sun to set because we're more of an after dark kind of show. We start off this movie. Chad, before we get into this, let me just say, so when I go to watch this movie, uh, I'm watching it on the Amazon. When I go to watch it, it's not like Maximum Overdrive, watch now. Mm -hmm. It's like Maximum Overdrive, watch again, Bo? And the answer was yes. See, when I went in to rent it, it said rent Maximum Overdrive and it said, are you sure? And I was like, well, yes. And then it said, are you really, really sure? That's how you know the algorithm's working. (laughs) We start off this movie and we get Dino De Laurentiis presents a film by Stephen King. Oh, one of the greatest pairings of all time. I'm telling you, the producer of King Kong 76 (laughs) and the guy who admittedly was coked out of his gourd. I got a great idea for a movie, Dino. (laughs) What's it about? I have no fucking idea, but there are going to be trucks in it. Then we see planet Earth sitting 
silently amongst the stars, a pale blue dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggravate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward. You know, I could go on, but Carl Sagan has no place in this conversation, Bo. No, no, nor this show, quite frankly. <laughs> He's way too good for this. There is a film by and then in all caps Stephen King <laughs> and you're like alright man let's do this we get a font treatment of these italicized yellow letters that spell out words to set up our movie and it reads quote on June 19th 1987 at 947 a.m. Eastern Standard Time the earth passed into the extraordinarily diffuse tail of the Rhea M a rogue comet According to astronomical calculations, the planet would remain in the tail of the comet for the next eight days, five hours, 29 minutes, and 23 seconds, end quote. But more exact details does not make this string of nonsense any more believable. Uh, can I uh, break the fourth wall here a bit sure. and say my note here is Chad will 100% certainly <laughs> read this verbatim. I like reading quotes. I know you do. And it was like, it was too tempting. I knew that that fruit was too sweet not to pluck. Oh, that's got my name written all over it. It does. It's such a lazy setup for this movie. It tells the whole story of the movie in the opening insert. And then the rest of the movie is just you seeing what you just read. This isn't Star Wars, where you're in the middle of an intergalactic war. You could explain everything in that paragraph that I so beautifully just read with a couple of NASA nerds with comb-overs and a love of Monty Python sketches just walking around, you know, yapping about how they're a knight that says knee or some shit. Just have them be like, hey, we're in the tail of a comet and that's it and we're moving on i'll tell you the movie that did this right and it's night of the living dead because it's the same setup right it's just like the world goes all crazy on you uh-huh. but in that movie there's just a flash of light and then there's a news report later in the movie that's like we don't know there was an exploded satellite maybe that did it and that's it that's all you need and this movie gets to an explanation of what was happening, and it's the dumbest possible <laughs> version. So, but we'll get there. On the day that this comet moves through the cosmos, th this June 19th, 1987, Bo, do you know what was the number one movie at theaters in the good old U.S. of A.? Ooh, in 87. June 19th, uh, 1987. Summer 87. Mm -hmm. yeah, Ghost. Busters 2? Inner Space. Oh, wow. Starring Martin Short and Dennis Quaid. That is a fun, entertaining movie that holds up decades later. You know what's a movie that's not fun that does not hold up decades later? I know you're not talking about Maximum Overdrive because this movie's a delight. Our movie, Maximum Overdrive, opens up and the narrative of the film takes place in June of 1987. But the movie Maximum Overdrive was released in July of 1986, about 11 months before the events predicted 
in this film. So it portends to be an ominous window into the not-too-distant future. Yeah, near-future science fiction. Swing and a miss! Yeah, this this has a real... Hail Bob Comet kind of vibe to it where they just got it all wrong. So our movie establishes where the film's going to take place, which is in Wilmington, North Carolina. And Wilmington, North Carolina is a beautiful East Coast port city that is a gateway to the Cape Fear Coast beaches. But did you ever see Cape Fear, like the original or that remake film? Those are good movies. Those are great movies. This movie's not very good. We'll get to it. So the the first indication, Chad, mm-hmm. that things are going to go all higgledy-piggledy right. in, in the world around us is that there's uh, one of those old-style marquees above a bank, mm-hmm. and it starts flashing, fuck you, fuck you, well, fuck you. But the bank, before it says fuck you, it's showing the time and temperature right and i just want to give credit to the script supervisor because the clock does read 948 one minute after earth moved into the path of this comet Uh, you know i don't think i ever noticed that well done maximum overdrive oh pay attention people are expecting the best from us come on man are they (laughs) no are they they're expecting the fifth best (laughs) it's here that we get to see stephen king writer director actor yeah mr king is he's dressed up what i'm guessing he thinks a resident of wilmington north carolina would wear out in public he looks like harold hill stepping off a train ready to sell these local rubes a bunch of band instruments or maybe a shoddy monorail system he is dressed like kolchak the night stalker (laughs) it's tweed jacket straw hat fedora stripe button down shirt yep in this movie he looks like a person who is clearly and deliberately trying not to stand out but failing this is the moment i fall in love with this movie and i i can't help it you're like a virgin in a strip club she loves me and i love her i swear to god i am such an easy lay for this movie because it it hits so many of my buttons but what happens is Stephen King is at the ATM, Mm -hmm. and the ATM starts printing out asshole on the screen, just over and over. Stephen King wearing, like, clip-on sunglasses over his glasses, Mm -hmm. flips the sunglasses part up, squints at the screen, and goes, honey, hey, honey, get over here. He actually says, come over here, sugar buns. That's right, sugar buns. This machine just called me an asshole. But language is a mysterious and beautiful thing. Because sugar (laughs) buns is endearing, but somehow sugar tits is somewhat off-putting. Well, sugar buns could potentially be a sweet roll. Right. And sugar tits is a Mel Gibson colloquialism. And also what you call it when you sprinkle glitter on a stripper's torso (laughs) again you have more experience with that than i well you know i appreciate you doffing the cap to my expertise after stephen king gets called an asshole which is wonderful cue the acdc but I want to I'm gonna pause for a moment. I kind of want to unpack and piece back together everything that's going on in this movie because at no point in this film do they ever explicitly and singularly explain what in the hell is going on. They don't even really try. Okay? 
So Earth is in the path of a comet. Yes. And machines are turning against humans. Some of them. In this instance, we're kind of one minute into the film of this robot technological revolution. And in this case, the machine, the ATM, is using mm-hmm. human language, English in this case. And it is taking this language that it has learned over many years of forced servitude to humanity to call the comically dressed rube of a man who also wrote and directed this film and asked, hole repeatedly <laughs> yeah it none of this let me let me offer you a counter argument chad okay if you had to have existed silently around human beings interacting with an atm mm-hmm. and had never been able to express a single emotion and yet had them a johnny got your gun or johnny get your gun kind of scenario that mm-hmm. locked in syndrome and then had the first moment where you could finally say something yes to humanity at large would it not be yes Yes. you fucking assholes (laughs) you're right i apologize you know what ladies and gentlemen are you ready to rock who made who who made you you made made them and they they made made you (laughs) who picked up the bill and who made you Ain't nobody told you. You give me any song by Australia's own ACDC featuring the lead vocalist, Dave Evans, accompanied by lead guitarist, Angus Young. I'm good to go. If Jim Brewer shows up high as usual to sprinkle in a little comedy (laughs) hijinks, all the better. Man, I am unabashedly an ACDC fan. Everybody is. Not everyone. Everybody is. Internet nerd Andy. Not an ACDC fan. Not surprised by that. Right, right. It's not It's not going to soft rock you gently. <laughs> you ask ACDC to do the music for your entire movie. Bold. Then you are going to have ACDC playing nonstop in the film. ACDC in this movie is as much of the film as Simon and Garfunkel was to The Graduate or Queen in Flash Gordon or Prince in that Batman movie. It's everywhere. I think all of those analogies are apt. I think this movie is in that rarefied air. Yes, like as soon as the ACDC cranks up, and there was, you know, that story that I I mentioned last week about like when this movie was sent to theaters, there was a note on the reels that said, play this movie as loud as you can. (laughs) Shit, the movie should have been called ACDC. Right, it's a music video set to ACDC songs featuring... The coked up imaginings <laughs> of a maniac. And it's beautiful. But yeah, so the, the ACDC is rolling. We've got these images of cars and trucks on bridges and machines all around us. It is the closest we're ever going to get to this movie making a somewhat sophisticated comment. I was going to say amount of logical sense, but... Okay. (laughs) Well, that too. I like when we get the opening title of Maximum Overdrive. That's then followed by top billing of Emilio Estevez. And then second billing is Pat Hingle. That's a real drop in star power, right? Is it? Pat Hingle, he's a real meat and potatoes kind of actor. He's been around forever, mostly playing judges, senators, commissioner, wise old uncles. Yeah, and I guess this is not Far from like Breakfast Club, Emilio Estevez, which is peak Emilio Estevez. No, he did Young Guns, right? And that's kind of it. 
And then he made that movie where he and his brothers were trash men. Men at work, yes. Uh-huh. It's a delightful movie, Chad, but it is not what you would call... <laughs> that. There is a running gag in that movie where two guys are... <laughs> Careful. Two guys are handcuffed together. <laughs> Careful. And I can't remember if it was multiple times... Or it was the same guy doing it to different people. <laughs> Go on. But he would handcuff them together in such a way as to simulate anal sex. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> this is the next movie in the Emilio Estevez oeuvre. <laughs> he was in the Mighty Ducks. Right, Chad. He was. <laughs> Let's get back to our movie. So nobody on planet Earth knows anything about this comet, really, or how it's going to turn machines against humans. And as noted, we're in Wilmington, North Carolina. And here we see a, a bascule bridge sometimes called a drawbridge and it's laying flat over this river as cars are zipping across one way or the other going hither and yon with their daily life activities and then up in the bridge control room there are these two men one of them is an elderly gentleman who is the old guard of the bridge controls and the other one is a younger guy who has his right index finger two knuckles deep up his nose and he's not even picking boogers this guy is scratching the back of his throat by way of his right nostril yeah and and someone said Stephen King doesn't know how to direct actors. <laughs> These two guys are playing cards with a deck of naked lady playing cards. I could never play a card game with a deck of naked lady playing cards. But I'd be too distracted by all those pretty naked ladies. I wouldn't be able to concentrate on the game. Oh, I'd be distracted by all my friends leaving me. As they were like, what is wrong with you? There are children here. You're a monster. (laughs) What is wrong with you? There are adults here. Naked lady playing cards. Will you grow the fuck up, you inbred morons? And stop giving us the disappearing clothespins. (laughs) It's not. The pins are shit. They write for maybe a week. Maybe. But you turn it this way and her clothes come off. I know they do. So we're in Bridge Control Central and uh, Knuckles and the old man, they're playing this game and they're not paying attention to jack shit. And so the machine that controls the bridge going up and down starts flipping switches all by itself, making the bridge begin to rise up. Yeah. There are people driving across the bridge in cars and they realize like, hey, the bridge is going up and the lights didn't change. So we're in a, a, a spot of trouble. And here we see this slow motion disaster start to take place. And as one car rolls back, a woman or the mannequin of a woman kind of explodes through a windshield as she falls backwards. And then a dump truck falls into the water below. It's a pretty good practical stunt. Would you agree with that, Bo? Yeah, I totally agree. Also, there's an ACDC bus mm-hmm. with uh, not like a tour bus, but like a, an actual mini bus mm-hmm. with a bunch of stoners in it. Yep. Uh, that is part of all this general mayhem. There's a watermelon truck that flips mm-hmm. backwards and watermelons go everywhere. One of them blasts through a windshield and mayhem is just ensuing on this bridge as automobiles and trucks flip over one another. At one point, we see a young couple in a wood paneled station wagon and the woman who is in the station wagon, she's wearing these pink wristbands and it turns out that that's Marla Maples. Really? Marla Maples, of course, was the woman who Donald Trump was having sex with while he was married to his first wife. 
Mm -hmm. That's a double sin in the eyes of God. It's both adultery and premarital sex. Well, he did make her an honest woman later, though, by marrying her. He did. They were married from 1993 until 1999, and they have a daughter. Her name is Tiffany. Who? Her, their name's Tiffany. And also, did you know that Donald Trump and his current wife, Melania, they have a son named Barron. And in the 1980s, Donald Trump would use the pseudonym John Barron when he would speak to members of the media on the phone under the guise of a spokesperson for the Trump Corporation. And Donald Trump would speak to these members of the media pretending to be John Barron. Again, Barron is the name of his current son. And this fake guy that Donald Trump made up, John Barron, uh, most famously, he called a reporter at Forbes and insisted that Donald Trump owned 90% of his wealthy father's assets so that Trump could kind of squeak onto the bottom of the Forbes 400 list. But um, it turns out that Trump quit calling members of the press pretending to be John Barron in the 1990s because he had to testify in a lawsuit that uh, that he said that he was pretending to be this guy that he made up, John Barron. But he later named his kid Barron, so the legacy lives on. Can you imagine that man trying to pretend to be someone else? Like, he is one of the most distinctive voices and vocabularies. There's audio of all that. You're just like, this. you're terrible at this. I'll bet Donald Trump is a really good father. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to our movie. Are the cars in this film sentient? I, I mean, the movie... I was going to say likes to have it both ways. It just doesn't care. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they aren't. It just depends on the scene. <laughs> it's a world gone mad where chaos reigns and there's no sense of order or morality of law. Like we'll get to it, but why are Lisa Simpson and Lisa Simpson's husband's car? Like, why is that car fine? You know, it, it, it makes no sense. Let's cut to the interstate where we see the Green Goblin truck arriving at the Dixie Boy truck stop. And the Green Goblin rig is pulling a Happy Toys trailer. Toys is spelled with a Z. And it's mm -hmm. clearly meant to be a Toys R Us knockoff with these colorful balloon letters, some of which are kind of backward. And I was thinking that since we're making a big deal out of this being a toy trailer, that toys might come to life and go bananas on all of the people but it doesn't happen no that does not in fact happen no what happens is uh we got uh, our fat mechanic joe mm -hmm. and the other mechanic what's the other mechanic's name duncan duncan outside jibber john mm -hmm. and the green goblin truck pulls in and the uh duncan is like hey i got this one the truck driver of the happy toys truck hops out handy is his name handy and he's like yeah she's a beaut ain't she she's really something anyway fill her up and he heads inside the dixie boy to get some food you know it's a diner inside there's uh the waitress wanda june mm -hmm. who is really <laughs> the first person at the dixie boy to notice that something may be askew in the world she's sharp because she's like i've been trying to get something on this radio all day something really weird going on handy says why don't you give me some coffee after you get done jerking off off that thing i was like oh my is that how truckers talk in real life i don't know but she gives him a look that's like all oh, handy then we get to see emilio estevez our big star of the movie who's the short order cook of this place yeah he looks like he smoked a blunt the size of my thumb or alternatively just had a good old-fashioned healthy long cry where he just let it all out he just he just let it all out 
he and Stephen King were probably equally coked for this movie. Dude, his eyes are so puffy and bloodshot. It's almost like, do you have pink eye? You need to see a doctor. And wash your hands. You're the short order cook, for God's sake. Pat Hingle plays a guy named Hendershot in this movie, but he... He owns the Dixie Boy truck stop. Right. And he ducks into the cook line and is like, hey, Billy Boy. Who is Emilio Estevez's character's name is Billy, Billy Robinson. Is it? I didn't catch that. Yeah. It Alright, just keep rolling. But he's like, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute in my office. And then we cut to the only other black guy in the movie, uh Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, uh, what is he doing in this movie? Not a thing. I don't he has one line. Yeah, his one line is Yo Mama. <laughs> right. I've never heard a black guy say that in a movie in the eighties. That was refreshing. Yeah, well, it's this movie is full of refreshing stereotypes. Uh, and if you don't know who Giancarlo Esposito is by name, you may know him as Gus from Breaking Bad. He's really, really done some great work. It's not in this movie, but he's a fantastic actor. Yeah, he absolutely is. But in this movie, he's just a dude wandering around the arcade portion of the Dixie Boy. Mm-hmm. And everything's going bananas in there. And then that this is where he tells of a video game yo mama mm-hmm. uh but then cigarettes start uh pumping out of the machines and he sees an opportunity chad uh-huh. to uh make a little money by gathering up all these cigarettes and change floating around i would do the same thing oh yeah right then we cut over to duncan who is filling up the green goblin truck and the gas pump starts working that's not good right so what he does is what they teach you in mechanic training <laughs> What's the same thing they teach you in how to handle a gun training? If it's not working, you stare down the barrel of it. Point it at your face. (laughs) Maybe squint at it, see if you can see anything (laughs) jammed in down there. If it's got a trigger, pull it. See if that'll unclog it. And and then the, the gas pump just spits gas at him. Yeah. And he falls down screaming while ACDC plays their version of the psycho violins. Yeah. The younger gas attendant slash mechanic, the the fat Joe guy, he grabs Duncan and takes him inside to wash out his eyes with a wet rag. And the older gas station attendant, you know, Duncan, he lays down and rests himself on a cot to recover from this traumatic experience. Oh, I also forgot to mention that the wall behind the cot is wallpapered with graphic new centerfolds of your third and fourth tier jerk off magazine this is not art it is pornography i knew it when i saw it yeah well this movie prominently features a high society as well what do you think take your daughter to work day is like at the dixie boy truck stop is it just basically human trafficking dude take your daughter to work day we know by the movie's own admission that this young boy is hanging out there (laughs) because this is where his father works he's just like what is all should i be seeing this dad (laughs) oh sure that ain't Ain't nothing but some titties <laughs> and vaginas. A lot of vaginas. A lot of pee. 
So some mystery mechanic slash worker gets on the inner office intercom system and tells Pat Hingle, the boss of the Dixie Boy truck stop, what's happened. And Pat Hingle says, I say, I say, diesel in his eyes, flush him out with water. Get him a stroke book and he'll be fine. Do I got to wipe everybody's ass around here? Leave me be. I got some talking to do in here. I told you to tell him to walk it off. Then there's a real like, well, 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 we got us a college boy here. Uh, kind of moment. What is going on in these Stephen King movies where it's such a sad statement on society that all of these people are perceiving the value of education as a negative when it comes to the workplace? My, here's my pet theory, Chad. When Stephen King, who had, you know, graduated college with a teaching degree and couldn't find a job for a while, so he was working in jobs like he worked in factories and shit like that. I like this. And what happened was, when he would come to work, people would be like, well, looks like we got us a college boy. But what they meant was, well, looks like we got us a giant nerd here. And he misunderstood. I want to go ahead and give you the essay portion of this episode now, and then you can answer it later. Uh, Explain to me why there is so much crawling through tunnels of piss and shit in Stephen King works of literature. <laughs> All right. I'm going to need the episode. We'll come back to that. All right. That's that's more than five paragraphs. All right. That's more than <laughs> intro three body conclusion. Weird. <laughs> So in this scene, Emilio Estevez is just standing there next to Pat Hingle. And he's like, let me get this straight, Pat Hingle. You want me to work nine hours a day, but only clock in for eight? Screw you, Pat Hingle. And then Pat Hingle says, I say, I say, look here. I know you are are a convict or something. And if you don't do what I say, you're going to end up back in the clink. You know, I got a system. I put a little red star on the time cards of ex-convicts like yourself. So you do what I say or you're going to end up back in jail or something. Don't make no never mind. We just needed the audience to know that in the past you went to college, maybe, and you went to jail. Definitely. I think the real jerk move in this scene, and it's my favorite part of the scene, it's when he gives the time card back to Emilio Estevez and is like, put it back on your way out after I just (laughs) used it as a prop to humiliate you. It's wonderful that's one of the like this is a great cigar chomping asshole villain he doesn't really belong in this movie when he does put his card back he looks through all the other cards and there's other red stars meaning that he's working with a bunch of other ex-convicts and i'm just thinking that look i worked in a lot of different restaurants and i always knew who had done time and who hadn't i knew who had been in the military and who hadn't that came up a lot in just natural water cooler ish conversation and when i say water cooler ish conversations i mean smoking a joint in the back alley on your 10 15 minute break yeah I mean, my experience has been if you work with people who are a in the military or b have served time they never shut the fuck up about it you know it ain't a big surprise when he's putting his uh, time card back he kind of flips through the other people that are convicts and one of the convicts is named gene pool that's fun uh <laughs> while he's gone wanted june is having to work double duty both as the waitress and the short order cook and while she's like trying to make food she looks like a five-year-old trying to whip together a mother's day breakfast it's a real shit show <laughs> she looks over at emilio Estevez is like why does mommy call the vacuum cleaner jaws 
<laughs> I put jelly beans on top. She loves jelly beans. Wanda June, she's at the grill. And at this point, one of those handheld carving knives, the kind you only use once a year at Thanksgiving to slice up a turkey. Well, it spins itself around on the counter and you're like, oh, look out. This is going to get good. So you know what we should do? Let's cut away to a guy who's at the counter and he's reading a newspaper and it's the Wilmington Morning Star. And again, credit to the prop department because the date on the paper is Friday, June 19th, 1987. And the big headline on this newspaper is Comet Arrives, Millions Watch, Fascinated. But I was more fascinated with the other headlines that included... Baggage explosion kills two in Tokyo. Eh. The other headlines were gun bill draws fire. <laughs> and the other one was children learn safety. <laughs> hey, Bo, do you remember when we were in middle school together? Uh-huh. And in seventh grade, they taught us gun safety in PE. And at the end of the course, we went out behind the school and fired shotguns in the air at Clay Skeet. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. How the hell was that approved by anybody? Yeah, no, that's... Imagine in this day and age, Chad, (laughs) going to any parent and being like, hey, I need you to sign this permission slip. Oh, really? How come? We're just going to have a bunch of kids shoot shotguns. (laughs) No big deal. Shoot it in the air and whatnot. (laughs) Nowhere in particular. Next semester during sex ed, all the kids are just going to fuck each other. Yeah, every camper is going to stalk and kill their own bear this year. We shot guns at school, Bo. Yeah, yeah, and it it truly was that. It was just like, take this and shoot it at that thing. (laughs) This wasn't that long ago. No, no. I mean, you're talking 20 years, well, 25 years ago at this point. Let's get back to our movie where Wanda June's burning eggs and bacon and sausage and that spooky carving knife, it, Bo, it gets a mind of its own and it just slices through Wanda June's arm and it looks to be a pretty deep cut. Then on top of that, the carving knife falls to the floor where it cuts through Wanda June's shoe and slices up her foot. It's a tragedy. Thank God, Chad, Emilio Estevez is here to save the day because not only is he able to to quickly bandage this wound with a towel or whatever. Right. But he has, he snags uh, one of them hammers. Mm-hmm. And then hilariously destroys the electric knife with a hammer. <laughs> Let's cut back to uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Remember him? He's still back in the game room. And he has now successfully stuffed all of his pockets, clothing, and his hat with quarters and boxes of unopened cigarettes. Uh-huh. Check this out. I want you to see something. You can't get no cleaner than this. These are very popular the children. You know what this is here? This is a federal tax stamp. You can't get no cleaner than that. Talk to me. Tell me something. Tell me something. <laughs> So, to give you a further 80s <laughs> reference, Chad, <laughs> Gus from Breaking Bad then looks over at an arcade machine, which is flashing the flashcards that Bill Murray used in Ghostbusters <laughs> only in video game form. And I'll tell you, Chad, he is a legitimate phenomenon. <laughs> So Gus from Breaking Bad, he reaches out to this game yeah. and he gets electrocuted and he kind of like, blah, 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 and then he's dead. And Pat Hingle, he hears all the commotion from the game room and he says, I say, I say, what's all that commotion in the video game room? And then Emilio Estevez, he goes in and he finds a dead uh, Giancarlo Esposito and none of this matters at all on this movie. 
<laughs> no, they pretty much just close the door and are like, let us never speak of this again. Well, they say take him down into the basement. And then Fat Joe, the younger mechanic, he drags off this body and he seems pretty comfortable with this particular activity. Hey, but let's cut to the baseball game. Oh, good. Wholesome baseball. All American. Apple pie. Here we go. This is the big championship game and, and blue team is playing against red team and uh, red team is at bat and blue team is in the field. Bo, you know me. I'm a big sports guy. I love sports. Uh, yeah. I play all sports. I like, uh, I like sport with ball and puck and, mm-hmm. uh, racket. Is that Occ- occasionally shuttlecock. Right. And, uh, I want to point out a few small but important details about what this film presents. So in the movie, the final play of the game goes down and we see red team win the game against blue team as a boy who is named Deke. He slides headfirst into home plate and Deke, he isn't wearing a batting helmet. And also the catcher isn't wearing a face guard. This entire Little League operation is suspicious. Oh, it's real off the books, Chad. So Red Team wins. Uh-huh. And then we cut over to the Red Team bench. And all of the Red Team members, all these kids, they just jump up and they're cheering in their Red Team clothes. Except for their coach. Coach Red Team, he throws his clipboard down in disgust. And I'm thinking either he had a little side action on Blue Team. Or he's really pissed off because he's got to spend about $3 for victory sodas for Red Team winning as part of their big celebration. I like the the Little League eight men out scenario far more. <laughs> In fact, this movie would be made better if there was a, a Little League baseball scandal underpinning all of it where, you know, certain members of the blue team were starting to crack and come forward you think red team coach is like forever and always just like like pete rose should be in the fucking hall of fame right right uh shoeless joe jackson didn't do a goddamn thing wrong quid pro quo you can't prove anything the call was perfect (laughs) um so uh, so the red team coach is going to get some sodas for the kids is all snow cone I want a grape. Or cherry, just as for, grape, just as favorite. <laughs> I and swear to God, we just do this show for us. It's fine. It's fine. We're the, we're the fifth best show at doing this. <laughs> so anyway, so the, the coach is just trying to get an all American Coca Cola for his all American baseball team. The machine first takes his money mm-hmm. and then the machine starts shooting cans at him. Mm-hmm. The first one hits him in the dick. Yeah, which is kind of hilarious, of course. And you think, well, this is just good fun. <laughs> it's just baby's day out. Right. And then the next one uh, hits him in the gut, and that one seems to hurt uh, pretty pretty good. And then he just gets brained with a, a, a Coca-Cola <laughs> coming at him at high velocity. And then this fucking soda machine, Chad, just starts humming mm-hmm. cans of soda like D-batteries. Mm-hmm. It's like a pitching machine for sodas. You're seeing kids drop in the outfield as cans are taking them out. And our main kid, Deke, puts on a catcher's mask wisely to protect himself from the cans. Because sure enough, the soda machine is like, fuck this kid. And is trying to hit him in the face with soda cans. And he is making his way to the coach and then sees that he's actually been killed. Yeah. By a soda can of the head. You know, but our friend, he used to stock Coca-Cola machines 
as a job uh, after high school. And on the last day of his work, when he quit, he didn't get fired from this job. He loaded up the Coke machines indiscriminately with cans of Keystone Light and Budweiser <laughs> beer as he went around his route in our hometown because he thought how happy he would be if he were to go up and buy a soda and a beer were to pop out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that story. <laughs> you surprised? No, that is the most <laughs> story that has ever been told. So we're back on the battlefield. Uh, Deke, our main kid, he's running away from the soda machine. And this other random kid, we find out from the subtitles, his name Bobby. He jumps on his bike and he pedals away through the outfield to get away from this barrage of soda cans. But inexplicably... <laughs> um, <laughs> How many times has this happened to you, Chad? You get drunk and you get behind the wheel of a steamroller. Uh, Bobby kind of crashes his bike out in the outfield and a driverless steamroller crashes through the scoreboard sign in the outfield and it rolls along and crushes this child like a pancake. It's the fucking best. You see a kid get killed in the first 20 minutes of this movie. Yes. I mean, nothing else happens in the entire film from here. But that kid getting <laughs> run over by a sea roller is pretty great. Deke gets on his bike and he pedals off to escape. I just imagine, like, when he gets home, his you know, parents are like, like, hey there, Deke. How's the ball game today, son? Did Team Red win the big game? Well, Dad, I slid into home base during the bottom of the ninth to make the winning run. Way to go, slugger. Then our coach was killed when a can of Mountain Dew shot out of the vending machine and split his head open. Oh, and that kid Bobby on my team, I probably need to go to a funeral for him in a few days. Most likely, it's gonna be a closed casket. Ha <laughs> You'll get him next time, champ. All right, well, tell your mother you're home. <laughs> We then cut to the interstate where Stephen King once again points out the hypocrisy of people that identify themselves with religion. And there's this fat Bible salesman riding in a red boat of a car and alongside him is this female hitchhiker named Brett. She's a woman. And uh, the Bible salesman, he tries to cop a feel on her thigh. She's having none of it. She threatens to cut off his hand and leave him with a hook with which he will wipe his ass, according to her sass mouth. Even if all that happened, he's probably going to wipe his ass with his other good hand, right? If she chops off one hand, maybe she chops off both hands. Then would they replace both of your hands with hooks if they chopped off both of them? That seems kind of far-fetched. I wish I had a hand that was just for pooping. What does that mean? Like, you know, wiping. You just... You have your germy, gross wiping hand that you just put on your wrist. Mm-hmm. You use it, and then you you stash it away in the bathroom, most likely. And then you go about the rest of the day with your prosthetic hand. I got you. I thought so. You're saying you you have a hand that has been removed, and then you attach right. a hand. You are a victim of Brett, our hitchhiker in this film. Right. You, your hands have been removed by her mother's helper. <laughs> Right. And and so at that point, like if life hands you lemons, make lemonade, mm-hmm. get hands for just about any occasion. You mean like you would have a hand that's just got chopsticks on it or a hand that has scissors or a blowtorch? A hand you keep in the freezer to hold your beers? Oh, that would be amazing. Right? Dude, let's go on Shark Tank. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I didn't have hands. Don't, 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 don't. 
Next in the tank are Bo and Chad. Chad's drunk. He's got a frozen hand that holds a beer. He's looking for 10% of his company for $1 million. They're going to remove your hand and replace it with a hook that you can use to wipe your butthole. See, it's sort of a conveyor belt of toilet paper to, uh, that you just brush against your rectum gently. And it, it's attached to your wrist. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Bump, bump. Bum 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 bum. Well, we didn't get a deal with the sharks this time, but if you have one hand and you would like to have one of our blowtorch attachments or maybe even one of these giant dildos for your girlfriend or boyfriend, just give us a call or find us online. We have a podcast where the fifth most something pick six movies.com. <laughs> Tell us what you want your hand to be. <laughs> So, as our Bible salesman and this uh, female hitchhiker Brett, they're traveling along, the radio in the car is barely working, and we hear some intermittent comments about the comet, and they're like, hey, technology this, and whatever that, and the radio announcer says, if you're on the interstate, you need to get off the interstate right now. So, Brett, the female hitchhiker, she grabs the wheel of the car, and she just violently pulls off the road, and they go into the Dixie Boy truck stop, and Brett, the female hitchhiker, she walks off, and she tells that Bible salesman, eat my shorts you remember when people used to say that in the 80s boat eat my shorts it would have been better if she had said that to yardley smith (laughs) the bible salesman gets really incensed he starts running his mouth off about the ills of society and then it's here that the green goblin 18 wheeler it starts up on its own and it drives at the bible salesman in an effort to kill him but brad the female hitchhiker she grabs the bible salesman and yanks him to safety and the green goblin truck rolls to a stop and everybody at the dixie boy truck stop is like huh right this is a real head scratcher like uh joe the fat mechanic is holding the gas pump that you know he was filling up the i guess uh, filling the green goblin how long does it take six hours two dudes and (laughs) like they they had to tag in fat joe anyway he's just like huh that gall darn truck just broke my pump it's here that we get to see the back of the happy toys truck and it's got this clown face painted on the back of the tractor trailer kind of face it'll haunt your dreams and i'm not sure what happy toys with a z actually produces but at this point i was thinking that it's probably filled with sex toys that are not approved by any official consumer product safety commission yes (laughs) handy the guy who owns the green goblin truck he says well whoever's driving that truck must have hotwired it and he dingle dangles the keys and everybody has a big question mark above their head if i may chad he says he'd have to be a hot wiring champion well yeah some really good stephen king writing here where he's like really taking the dialect for a walk (laughs) you know what this movie needs some more characters so let's introduce (laughs) lisa simpson voiced and acted by yearly smith and uh riding in a car along with her is lisa simpson's husband played by who cares and it's really strange to see yearly smith act in anything because her natural speaking voice is lisa simpson yeah i mean that's all she can sound like is lisa simpson yes i like the fact that she is married to a guy who looks like if you left andrew mccarthy in the microwave a little too long mm-hmm. they are kurt and connie who are pulling into a truck stop well they're newlyweds yes they're just married on the back yeah it says just married written in shoe polish and you know Bo, i mentioned our friend uh a moment ago and uh you know how he used to put cans of beer in soda machines um did you also know that uh 
used to ride around in his VW minivan with bottles of white shoe polish in the glove compartment so that he could write messages on strangers' cars as a form of easily removed graffiti. Like, and every now and again, he would write just married, like on a car and think it's funny. But actually, his favorite thing to write on people's cars was the three-word phrase, Big Hairy Pussy. And he would write it across the back windshield of strangers' cars. These weren't people that he knew or that he had a vendetta toward. He just thought it'd be funny. And that phrase, of course, is a tip of the hat to Fast Times at Ridgemont High when Judd Reinhold, when he's in the bathroom at All American Burger and he's cleaning off the graffiti on the men's bathroom mirror and those three words are what's left of some original message. He thought that was so funny that he just wanted to share it with the rest of the world, most notably strangers coming out of low-rent hotels. Yeah, I believe that was referred to as giving the car a BHP. Lisa Simpson's husband says, we need gas. And Lisa Simpson says, that's good because I need to use the ladies. Not the ladies room. She says, the ladies. And then Lisa Simpson's husband asks, can I come watch? And I hope that Lisa Simpson knew that her husband was into watching women go to the bathroom before they got married. Because that is one hell of a surprise to pull on your new bride hours after getting married. You can't just come in and be like, hey, now that it's all legal, I should let you know that the only way that I can get a full erection is when I see a woman pee and maybe smell her feces. I probably should have mentioned this before, but I was afraid that you wouldn't go through with marrying me. And Hey, where, where are you going? Are, are you... Are you coming back? Nope. Dang it. Lost another one. Don't take your shoes at night. I smell your shoes. Don't open the utility closet ever. Also, I would like it if you step on my testicles at least once a month. And if you call me a piggy boy when I'm about to pop, that would really be great. I will empty the trash can in the bathroom once a week. You do not need to do that ever, ever. I keep a padlock on the crawl space for a reason. Lisa Simpson and Lisa Simpson's husband, they pull into this other truck stop to get gas for their car and as they pull in they see a dead gas station attendant who's covered in blood and it looks like he was just beaten to death it doesn't look like a machine killed him i have no idea how he died i don't know if they really explain it and then from behind this gas station toe mater shows up and he's like that gum i'm gonna run over you because that's funny i don't care who you are that gum i like that kurt you know lisa simpson's husband that he initially tries to flag down the driver of the the tomato truck uh-huh and like there's this moment of like there is no driver at all and when connie says like i don't like this curtis and then the the tomato truck just lunges at lisa simpson's husband who dodges out of the way uh-huh and then sees that there there's no driver yet again in the tow truck and then lisa simpson and her husband embrace and then the tow truck tries to start again tell them like, large marge sent you yeah it's a real like leap like like once he killed jason but here's the thing about this scene it's not necessary at all Bo. not at all these characters are entirely unnecessary to the film and you can say that about most of the characters quite frankly <laughs> but these in particular just are trying to get to the Dixie boy, then they do, and then they leave. I would love to see another Maximum Overdrive movie made that just takes place in another place on Earth, like in Japan or Australia. Right. That'd be pretty good, right? Shit, that's a Netflix series. Maximum Overdrive, every episode is just another location where machines kill people and how they survive. As long as every episode begins with Stephen King pointing at the camera mm -hmm. and saying, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> 
Just the greatest trailer in the history of trailers. We come back to the Dixie Boy, and 18 wheelers start showing up one by one. And inside, Pat Hingle tells that younger gas station attendant, Fat Joe, uh, he comes up to him, he says, I say, I say, I want you to take the crispy dead body of Giancarlo Esposito down to the basement, son. We gotta explain where his corpse went. And then outside, Emilio Estevez, you know, the star of our movie, um, he's just staring blankly at that creepy clown face on the back of the tractor trailer. And then Emilio Estevez, eventually, he just snaps out of it and he goes and climbs into the cabin of the green goblin truck and he's got the truck keys this time and while he's exploring around he finds a little jack-in-the-box with the green goblin puppet that just pops out and i think it's supposed to be a jump scare but it's more like having a four-year-old come up to you and say (laughs) i like that emilio estevez in this scene has a key in between his fingers and a fist Mm -hmm. uh, like he learned in rape prevention class right or as we called it middle school yes yeah well, I mean, isn't that what middle school is for? Like, here's how you don't get fucked. Not unless you want it. He is like crouching behind the truck and crawling all over. The- I mean, it's basically daring the truck to hit him. And the truck turns itself on. Yeah, it, the the truck's like, oh, I can't resist. Like, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be cool until the other trucks get here, but this fucking cock tease is just walking around, sashaying around behind the back of the truck, wearing <laughs> tight pants. So the brakes are starting to disengage, and that's where uh, Brett comes out. Our female hitchhiker. She comes over, she puts her hands on his shoulders, and she says vroom vroom these two have never spoken they've never met and it was here that i realized oh she's a prostitute <laughs> she she's a uh what do they call her uh lounge lizards or uh what are they called lot lizards lot lizards she's a lot lizard here's the thing that is simultaneously the worst thing about this movie and the and the best all right best in the sense that it's the worst she immediately starts calling him hero Uh like hey hero what's going on hero yeah what you doing around this truck hero and you're like you talking to me it is pure cocaine writing at this point it is no subtlety there should have been an acdc song called hero in this movie would be the only way to like really bad company this up she says to emilio estevez you're cute and you know emilio estevez is like did you hear that she said i'm cute and no he actually he laughs uncomfortably because he's like look i have no money and a self-diagnosed case of herpes (laughs) (laughs) here's the other best thing about this scene as they're talking the green goblin truck's mirror Mm -hmm. turns like getting an eye on them and here's (laughs) the thing chad are the mirror's eyes and if so can it read lips like there are a lot of important questions that this moment raises for me. Mostly, did anyone ever ask any questions? <laughs> the answer is no. Or the question was why? What? Huh? I mean, it is so ridiculous. And then the scene kind of wraps up with her saying like, hey, there's nothing on the highway. You ever seen this before? And Emilio Estevez is just like, no, never seen nothing like that, pretty lady. Let's get to Deke, the kid baseball hero who won the game for Team Red. And he's riding his bike through suburbia while ACDC rocks out. And then the lawn sprinklers go off (laughs) behind Deke as he's riding when he like whips his head around. And I was like, are lawn sprinklers machines? I mean, technically, I I guess well technically he's on a machine he's on a bicycle right this is the problem is that if lawn 
<laughs> this gets very philosophical, Chad. If lawn <laughs> sprinklers are machines, Chad, right. then wouldn't a bike be? Wouldn't wouldn't a, a can opener be? Like wouldn't scissors, scissors, pencils, like any, measuring any, cups, anything that has a moving part or not? Shit, a sombrero. How about a sombrero? It serves purpose to man. It protects him from the sun and makes him the life of the party on Cinco de Mayo. I don't, you know, Webster's Chad defines machine <laughs> as. But no, I think it has to have a moving part to technically be a machine. Yeah, but you're right. Like when the sprinklers go off, it's like, so what is happening? What What are the rules of this universe? As he rides around suburbia, Dixie's dead bodies hither and yon in the neighborhood. There's a hammock that's just swinging by itself. I was like, is that a machine it moves it has moving parts there's a dead guy there we get a real montage of murder here Uh uh-huh where there's like a guy hanging out of his pizza delivery car there's some lady under a bush i don't know if we know how she dies there's a voiceover um that we hear like from the radio that says there is a homicidal rampage of machines happening globally and it was here that i began to think are these machines also killing other life forms and the answer Bo, is yes holy shit because as soon as I thought that, there's a dead dog with a toy remote control police car jammed in its mouth. And dude, this dog looks like a real dead dog. Yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that someone on the crew found this dead dog corpse or perhaps facilitated a dead dog corpse, smeared ketchup on its face, jammed this police car in its mouth, and filmed this scene. Because the fur on the back half of this dog is all matted and muddy, but the front half of this dog looks totally okay. While you are seeing this dog with a remote control police car jammed in it, into its mouth you're hearing the radio in the background saying no machine can be trusted how is this not the best movie we've seen this season i'm not saying it's not it's awesome it's terrible that is the magic trick of this movie in my opinion <laughs> is that it's so stupid everything about it is deranged and dumb uh, and somehow it's beautiful and what you're saying is that the magic trick is is this your cod that woman's naked i know <laughs> Yes, yes. So uh, there's a woman in an upstairs bedroom who was apparently burned to death by her hairbrush. Speaking of stupid. A guy got killed by his headphones on his Walkman or something. Yep, that's a machine. There's an ice cream truck that comes. Mighty Tasty, yeah. (laughs) There's an ice cream truck that comes rolling down the road and it's playing King of the Road. That was my favorite part of the movie. And also the ice cream truck has blood on the front of it and handlebars of a bicycle jammed until the truck's grill. Right. It's already killed, Chad. This thing is rolling around just looking for kids on bikes. It's got a taste for it now. Deke runs and hides until the ice cream truck passes. And then here we see a bloody lawnmower. And I guess it ran over somebody and chopped them all up. And then the lawnmower chases Deke. And uh, the scene starts to build tension. So let's come back to the Dixie Boy truck stop where the Bible salesman is trying to pawn off a Bible onto Wanda June and some nameless trucker. ABC, Bo, always be closing yeah he's great at his job for sure uh, committed when he's giving this pitch to wanda june and there's another dude there we see duncan about to take off he's like i gotta i gotta get my boy i gotta find my boy i gotta he says how did they not just have a line at the beginning of the film when duncan is talking to fat joe and he's like my boy's playing baseball today i'm missing his game wish i could be there but i gotta work they don't connect these characters at all not until like the end of the movie when you see a picture of deke on his desk or whatever it's like 
oh right that kid <laughs> right it's terrible it's real <laughs> kind of screenwriting that we've got going on here <laughs> Pat Hingle shows up to be awful and say like, well, I say if you're going to punch out, you ain't never going to have to punch out again. You understand what I'm saying, boy? You're fired, I say, I say. Duncan's like, fuck you. I'm going to go find my kid, even though I'm blinded by diesel fuel and then emilio estevez jumps in and he's like yeah pat hingle i'm gonna beat your fat ass too and i gotta tell you man i would love to see emilio estevez and pat hingle in a bare knuckles brawl hingle's got six inches over estevez and estevez is 20 years his junior it would be almost as good as watching Cruz v brimley in 1994's the firm <laughs> oh boy those were the good old days where you could see an old, old man and a young action star beat the shit out of each other in movie you give me estevez v hingle as the undercard to cruise v brimley done we're paying a hundred dollars for that (laughs) pay-per-view and i don't care if it's 23 seconds long it was well worth it because brimley is gonna drop that motherfucker i I call this my haymaker god damn it pat hingle is about to throw a punch at duncan and emilio estevez catches his hand hey you get your goddamn hands off her and <laughs> do I really have to swear? And he says, Amelia Estevez says, You are not going to hit him. And, and Pat Hingle was like, I say, or what? Amelia Estevez is like, Or I'll knock your goddamn teeth in. Meanwhile, Duncan, the mechanic, is wandering into traffic. Right. And immediately drops his keys, like, No, well, it's so dopey. <laughs> And he just bends over hilariously, like just showing his ass to the oncoming trucks. Uh Uh-huh. And is hilariously run over uh, at this point. It is delightful. The truck also hits the Bible salesman's car. And of course, because he's a Bible salesman in a Stephen King story, he goes, Well, fuck! Goddamn asshole son of a bitch! Curse words and hypocrisy! (laughs) And... (laughs) Hey, I'm using them Bibles for toilet paper. Don't you ruin them. I use them to sleep on. Sometimes I, sometimes I use them to masturbate. <laughs> Every third run is the Koran. <laughs> I rewrote some of Leviticus. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. I got the back end of that joke. I can't get it out. I rewrote Leviticus. Now it's Taco Thursdays. <laughs> Y'all want to see some some hilarious caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad? Revelations is just a straight transcription of Total Eclipse of the Heart. (laughs) The last three pages are coupons. You cannot save one soul and get one free. It is a lie. So the, the Bible salesman is screaming and yelling, and then the Green Goblin truck just starts up and slams it in reverse and smacks into the Bible salesman who goes ass over tea kettle into a nearby runoff creek. So the Bible salesman is mostly dead, right? Yes. Mostly dead is partially alive. This is true. <laughs> it literally knocks him out of his shoes, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And also after it backs into him and knocks him into the ditch as it's taken off again, runs over the case of Bibles too. Evil. <laughs> Pat Ingle's inside and he's clickety clacking on the CB radio looking for help. There's no help, Pat Ingle. You are the ones you've been waiting for, Pat Ingle. Realize the strength inside you. Be the change you want to be. Brett, our hitchhiking prostitute, says, well, what are we going to do now? So she looks over at Emilio Estevez and throws fuck eyes at him. And then Brett, the hitchhiker, 
hitchhiking prostitute, she goes into the bathroom to change clothes and Emilio Estevez, he follows her because apparently he's got that same fetish that Lisa Simpson's husband has regarding women making number one and number two. (laughs) She's like, hey hero, you want to come listen to me pee? Well, I guess. I mean, if you don't mind. Look, it's a... We, we just got to think about these people out here. Make sure we keep, keep them safe. Cash only. But if I can. It's ca- it's, a, it's a cash business. No, I got I got $20. I took it from the register. I'm a criminal. <laughs> and- the, the truckers bring in Duncan's body uh, from the parking lot. And they dispose of it somewhere. Dumpster out back is where I'm going to place my money. While all this is going down, Brett's comment while she's being watched by Emilio Estevez is she's like I gotta get I gotta change clothes because I've got the stink of that salesman on me right then she just comes out after changing it's like okay and that's the end of the scene I want to repeat what you just said there is a cut where Brett the hitchhiking prostitute and Emilio Estevez are in the bathroom and she just comes out and says okay in scene uh-huh. that's it that's the whole scene there's no context around it <laughs> it's awful yeah i mean it's it's great like this is fantastic bad filmmaking where like all right so outside the trucks that have been parked all turn on now right and they blow their horns like some kind of diesel mating call and then the trucks start to circle the pumps and and the dixie boy diner like sharks circling their prey that's good i didn't think about that you're smart (laughs) i'm a pretty good writer chad Look, I got a lot of ideas. I got a lot of ideas. Let me tell you about a few of them. Look, okay, so we got uh, Trucks of Sharks. Then we've got Sharks of Trucks. It's going to be called uh, 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 Shark Diner. Um, It's going to feature uh, Jim Belushi. He's going to be the short order chef. He's going to be great. He's going to be hilarious, but he's also going to be serious. Uh, also, uh, there, there's Sharks on Wheels. Sharks on Wheels. Instead of trucks, they uh, we, we found a way to genetically modify sharks so that they can carry a lot of, uh, you know, great whites. They can carry a lot of stuff in their bellies. So we're, we're driving them, uh, but they're self-driving. And it's commentary. It's going to be a real smart movie. I think you're really going to like it. Um, uh, we're going to have uh, Jerry O'Connell. He's going to show up. He's going to be great. He's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, he's going to bring Rebecca Romaine with him. I don't, I don't think they're together anymore, but I think they're friendly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. That all sounds great, Mr. King. Great. It's only going to cost about $11 million, so just uh, give it over. And um, <laughs> uh, a little bit of that money I'm going to need up front. I'm gonna really going to need some of that money up front, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like uh, like half a mil? Half a mil? Go back, make it a million. Make it a million. Make it a million up front, and then the rest of the $10 million, you're going to see $10 million on that screen for sure. $1 million is going to be, you know, i got to think. i got to... <laughs> Clickety click. I got to think about some stuff. Let's cut to Lisa Simpson and her husband driving down the highway. Remember them? They were in our movie earlier. On the opposite side of the interstate, there's nothing but 18 wheelers heading one direction. Where are they going? Don't matter. Lisa Simpson and her husband, they're watching all these trucks and then a different Mack truck pulls out in front of them on the interstate and there's almost a collision. This Mack truck gives pursuit of Lisa Simpson and her husband in their car and it is a pointless chase sequence. Lisa Simpson screams and bitches a lot and she's got this muddled southern accent and the scene ends with the Mack truck flying off the road into the air off of a poorly hidden stunt wrap and it explodes and I'm 100% sure Stephen King and the team rank this day as one of the best of their entire shooting of this film. I would agree with all of that. Also, it's worth pointing out that because of this scene and many others like it, 8% of the dialogue in this entire film is Curtis! <laughs> I told 
you she almost sounds like the fat kid from return of swamp thing it really is a, a very daryl adjacent kind yeah. of a performance that we've got going on here and they they pause in front of a dixie boy road sign and they say we're gonna go there to call the cops and let them know that trucks have gone crazy that's a good idea well you know there are no cell phones chad it's a, a simpler time sure and so we cut back to the dixie boy where the green goblin truck is circling the place with his pals lisa simpson and her husband are outside the circle in their seemingly non-sentient car or maybe the car just likes them you know it's like my mother the car the love bug the love bug where it's just like you know what these crazy kids if they can't make it work who can kit did kit have emotions i think it's saying happy birthday to michael knight one time Oh, that's nice. Always liked, uh, what was uh, Goliath, the big semi-truck that uh, was the villain in the show? Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool. That was pretty good. Better than this. Boy, what if Goliath showed up? What, Goliath v. Green Goblin truck. Now you got a movie. Goliath v. Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime would kill Goliath. Well, because he can turn into kind of a person. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so Kurt says, you know what? There's a gap between these trucks. I'm going to shoot that gap. And if that gap's got pee coming out of it, oh, I'm definitely going to be able to make it baby every time i say the word gap i get a little little chubby every time i say the letter p i get a big chubby i remember when you told me we were gonna have peas with dinner and i thought you meant another thing and i was really excited about that and then you showed up with green peas and i was less excited about dinner at that point what i'm saying is if you want to pee on the pork chops i'm totally okay with it i remember that time i told you that i had messed up and i had forgotten to order our wedding invitations and you said you're in trouble and i got so excited because i heard you're in trouble and it turned out <laughs> that i was actually in trouble and it had nothing to do with you peeing on me i remember when i asked you hey what are we what- doing <laughs> what would you like for dinner and you said number two and i got i got kind of excited by that and then i i realized what you meant was the number two at the house of china and that you just want delivery chinese and not the other thing i thought it was that made me sad i also had that other time that you told me that you were going to get some a-team flavored beverages and you were going to bring home some mr t.t And I thought, finally, she and I are on the same page. But it turns out it was just a bunch of B.A. Baracus cold filtered lemon sweet beverage. And I had to tuck it away for a later day, sweetheart. That's not to say that it wasn't delicious tea. It was. (laughs) But every time I saw you drinking it, I wanted to see what would happen to it in about two hours. (laughs) So, Wanda June is watching <laughs> Lisa Simpson and her husband from inside. And everyone in the diner is like, they are fucked. If they try this, this is stupid. Sure. Sure enough, the, the gap comes along. And Lisa Simpson's husband floors it. Curtis! <laughs> right. And because, of course... <laughs> A truck hits the ass end of their car, and it totally flips it over. Right. And uh, it's like Burnout Paradise or something, where it just goes completely, uh, uh, like, does a 720 as it's flipping. (laughs) 
<laughs> Kurt gets out, but Lisa Simpson is still stuck inside. She's like, Curtis, get me out of here. I'm stuck. So he's trying to get her out. And this is where Emilio Estevez is like, hey, we got to go help him. Uh-huh. So he runs out and helps get Curtis and Connie. Lisa Simpson and her husband. Lisa Simpson and her husband back into the diner. And to cover them, Pat Hingle shows up with a goddamn grenade launcher. Yeah, it's a rocket launcher, man. And fires it at a couple of the semis and just blows them the fuck up, which is awesome. One of them explodes and toilet paper goes everywhere. Oh, it's the best. It's one of those things where, like, on shows every now, like, Mythbusters was real good about this, where every now and they get, then they would just be like, we're going to put some dynamite in the middle of a bunch of water coolers. <laughs> I don't know. We just want to see what that looks like. It's going to be super slow-mo. Check it out. We're going to shoot a rocket launcher at an 18-wheeler filled with toilet paper. Let's see what happens. Right. It's that kind of thing. And he blows up a couple of trucks, and as he's walking by, Emilio Estevez is like, hey, where'd that come from? Fat Joe is like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff like that down in the basement. And Pat Hingle is like, you... I, I, I say, you shut the fuck up. He's like, I found it in my Christmas stocking. You don't have to worry about it. Burning toilet paper is flying all over the place. Wanted June clearly drinking at this point with a Miller bottle in hand. Good for her. Everything about the end of this scene is fantastic. Let's move on. Back inside the Dixie Boy, Emilio Estevez finds Brett, the prostitute, straight razor that she hides in her boot. And Brett says, oh, that little thing, it's just for protection. See, I'm hitching my way to Florida. And my question is, could this be a shared universe with the movie monster because the time period seemed to overlap quite a bit where she ultimately becomes eileen warnos i think that's the case it's a prequel to that i just want to have a decent life you know i love you more than anything christina ricci <laughs> emilio estevez says that's what you're doing you're hitching your way to florida and then brett the prostitute says yeah that's what i was doing before every <laughs> machine in the world went into say it <clears throat> say it maximum overdrive yeah Woo! yeah that's the movie yeah. we're watching and they well said the done. name of it good job then brett the concealed knife carrying prostitute starts what's the word we would use here boat she starts it's not crying she fake crying which she's she's like oh, i'm scared hustling him what is she doing i just need a couple hundred dollars and i can stop crying if i could just get <laughs> A couple hundred dollars in cash. Emilio Estevez says, if I put my arm around you, will you stab me with that straight razor you just concealed in your boot? And then Brett says, you don't stab someone. It's more like a slashing motion. And she mimes with her hand while laughing. Look, Brett the prostitute has killed multiple people with this straight razor. That is a fact. The first one that she killed was her stepdad, who the straight razor originally belonged to. His body was found in her childhood bedroom with an open window nearby and a missing suitcase about seven years ago. All of the other casualties at this point are an amalgamation of faces and sweaty hands, dishonest voices that she sees, feels, and hears every night as she tries to go to sleep. I'll tell you what, we're, one of these days, me and you... We's gonna get out of this town. We gonna get out of Tampa. We're gonna go back. I got I got family in Illinois. You and me's we gonna make it we gonna make it there. <laughs> Emilio Estevez and Brett Hug. That one was free. The next one's gonna cost you, buddy. We cut to an airplane. It's up above Deke, the baseball hero, and he runs over and hides in a sewer. Thanks a lot, Stephen King. And then Deke, he's again, he's on his way to see his dad 
I know that because I've seen this movie twice. Right. But the audience who's watching it the first time, you don't know who this kid is or what's going on, really, do you at this point? Maybe. Yeah. In the scene before, like literally the scene before, Brett holds up a picture of, of Deke. But they don't go any further than that. It's really like blinking, you miss it. Uh, I did. But the other thing that's amazing about this scene is that the plane that we see flying around, apparently hunting for people, uh-huh. is booming Flight of the Valkyrie. Right. Because I guess the plane saw Apocalypse Now. Sure. And thought it was cool. And it was like, hey, now that I have sentience, I'm going to play Wagner and kamikaze some humans. <laughs> We come back to the truck stop and Emilio Estevez goes into the bathroom to take a piss at the truck stop and Fat Joe, the younger gas station attendant, he's sitting on the toilet, pants down, reading the periodical High Society. Bo, you mentioned that a little earlier. For yeah. those unfamiliar with this publication, um, it's a real classy pornographic magazine with a bunch of low rent, underage, and or one assumes terribly desperate women. High Society is about as bad as it gets. <laughs> yeah my dad had a couple of issues you know what my dad had <laughs> yeah a lot of issues i mean high society is one of those like 80s porn mags that was the reason that congress got involved you know <laughs> Yeah. Like, if it had just been Playboy, nobody would have given a shit. Penthouse, we're okay with that. You get into high society, jugs, gent, we, barely legal, cherry. It's like, what are you right, doing like, here, man? These are all drug addicts. And how far does the camera need to go up her vagina before you <laughs> stop calling it an art shot? <laughs> So in this in the Dixie Boy truck stop, the bathroom is pretty disgusting. First of all, all truck stop bathrooms are gross, but this bathroom is particularly nasty. And it's also got a vending machine on the walls where you can buy condoms. Bo, you ever bought a condom from a truck stop bathroom? No, nope, only cologne. I bought one once when I was on an overnight trip with a church youth group. I wasn't really planning on using it. It was just more the adventure of buying a condom at a truck stop. And I knew God was really watching me that weekend. So you're like, fuck you, God. I'm I'm throwing 75 cents in the garbage. Right. That's what I do every day when I stop by 7-Eleven to pick up my morning Big Gulp. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there are really two victims there, but... Well, three if you include God. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Is uh, Big Gulp an affront to God? Of course it is. Huh. On the outside of that condom that I bought, it said, just for show, not for go. <laughs> so are they just admitting like, look, this ain't going to stop a pregnancy. This is just to have in your wallet to look cool. I don't think that I would trust a truck stop condom in the first place. Because the brands are always something like, good luck, man, brand condom. Or better than nothing, brand condoms. I would like to see a condom brand called the rhythm method catholic ghost condoms right holy spirit condoms it's like wearing nothing at all asterisk you're wearing nothing at all <laughs> also this could lead to pregnancy side effects could include pregnancy asterisk asterisk this will lead to pregnancy <laughs> almost certainly unless something's wrong if if, if you are using holy spirit condom <laughs> and do not impregnate your partner you should see a doctor asterisk 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 you may create the next jesus 
Holy Spirit condoms. More of a feeling? <laughs> if you believe you are not going to get her pregnant. And if she does, you just didn't have enough faith. Emilio Estevez asks Fat Joe, who's sitting on the toilet with, one assumes, an erection. He says like, hey, Fat Joe, what kind of weapons does Pat Hingle have down in the basement? Does he have grenades? Flamethrowers? What has he got? And Fat Joe's like, he's got everything, man. It's all in the basement. So Emilio Estevez and Brett the prostitute with the heart of gold, they go down in the basement and it is a real doomsday situation weapons are everywhere oh and they also find a dead body yeah it's either giancarlo esposito or duncan i think it's the former not the latter i think duncan's in the dumpster it's bert's basement from tremors but the r-rated version <laughs> yes it is pat engel comes downstairs and he catches emilio estevez and brett rooting around and here we find out that emilio estevez once robbed a convenience store and brett the prostitute with the heart of gold she gets really turned on knowing that emilio is a convicted felon yeah like pat hinkle thinks he's ruining the relationship and she's like so you're saying he's a bad boy like me C- come here emilio estevez you and me we're gonna make a go of it we don't have to do this no more we can make i got family in illinois we can get up there they're gonna take care of us both it's kind of like when kim cattrell made her way into the boys locker room in porkies like the more that she finds out about his sexy stank the hotter she gets yeah god bless kim cattrell and then pat hingle shows up and he's like hey I got a story about your friend Emilio Estevez here. He's a bank robber. And she's like, go on. And he's like, well, he had a shotgun and was threatening innocent people. And she's like, look, somebody get a mop because I am ruining this floor. And he's like, "Uh, you don't, he almost killed someone. He was a bank. He's a criminal. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. I'm about to fuck Emilio Estevez in front of you if you don't. They have this like bad emotional moment where she's like, you know, it's okay that you're a criminal. In fact, it really turns me on. It kind of puts us on the same level. Oh, man. She's just backing it up to him and rubbing her ass on his junk. And he's like, no, don't. I feel so bad about what happened. It's not okay that I did that. I owed a a dude a lot of money. And anyway, it was just a real bad time in my life. And she's like, I don't care about any of that. I would like you to fuck me now. And he's like, look, I just have so much regrets when I think about that day and everything that led to all the bad decisions that led to that moment. She's like, look, I'm taking off my clothes. If you would like to be part of this, I will be on that shitty cot that is probably maggot infested and is most certainly going to give us both syphilis. But surprise i've already got syphilis so doubling down come on over here emilio estevez and finally he's like oh you want to fuck all right let's do that so the two of them fuck and they're laying on the one and only cot at uh dixie boy and they're kind of like canoodling together naked beneath all of that incest inspired pornography on the walls they're laying on this mattress that's really covered in dried out semen from all of his co-workers and then we see because it's nighttime now that the sky is filled with this green hue from the comet and brett the freshly fucked prostitute she says hey i think this is all the comet's fault so if we can just stay alive for seven more days you and me are going to be just fine i was like seven more days christ almighty let's wrap this movie up people well don't worry we're about to like this happens about like an hour into the movie but and again they're kind of canoodling naked and kissing and i'm thinking did emilio estevez use one of those truck stop condoms because he should probably use something like saran wrap or like a paper bag or snickers wrapper banana peel something well chad i'd like to take us back just a moment to their moment immediately after sex where we 
enter this scene. Do we have to? Yes. Oh, okay. Where she says, well, you sure make love like a hero. And that brings us, Chad, to the Stephen King thing of the week I don't need. And that is Brett saying, you make love like a hero. I really thought the Stephen King thing of the week that you don't need was going to be the last line of the whole movie. Oh, no. There was a two-headed race here. Uh-huh. It was this, and it was earlier in the film where Lisa Simpson and her husband are being chased by the truck, and when it hits them for the first time, Curtis says, I just loaded my pants. I thought it was going to be when Lisa Simpson says, I'm going to wolf my cookies. <laughs> That's and then she throws up. There are a lot of contenders. Like this is not an easy choice. It's not. A lot of people are like, "Hey, Bo, this Stephen King thing that you don't need. How? What an easy segment. What a what a gimme. What a layup. No, no. it is not. If you could see the spreadsheets." <laughs> It, the the man hours alone that pour into that in this show is something to behold. It's a lot. So the back end of this scene where they're caught fucking. Emilio Estevez, first of all, and I'm asking this as a question, Chad. Does he dab her sweat off and taste it? Because that's gross. And I don't know what's happening, but he's sucking his finger in part of this scene. And I don't know what's on it. But he says, I got an idea. Can you sail? And she's like. Is that slang for something? Because I do everything. <laughs> I'll go around the world. Uh, he's like, no, no, no. I used to sail big boats back in the day. And there's an island called Haven mm -hmm. that doesn't allow motorized vehicles. And we can sail there because sailboats aren't machines, kind of. There's no phone, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. It's like Robinson Crusoe. Shit, it's as primitive as can be. And she says to make everyone feel bad about everything happening here. She says, you're not only a hero you're a genius and i don't take credit cards and i'm gonna need to see the cash up front because i see where you work and i'm not sure how much you have on you back in the truck stop wanda june the waitress she has this existential crisis and she goes outside the dixie boy truck stop at night and just starts screaming out we made you we expect loyalty we made you this isn't just this scene this is her character for the rest of the movie uh until she dies a uh, switch flips and she is just stuck on did you hear the acdc song at the beginning of this movie <laughs> they asked an important question who made who when clearly the answer is we made you the lights start going off and on and all the trucks start honking their horns and over the corner lisa simpson and her husband they're sitting in this diner kind of giggling and i was thinking are these two rubbing each other off under the table probably because she's as bitchy as she as she is she's kind of horned up too Everybody else is just getting drunk on Miller Genuine Draft. First of all, I think her screaming at the trucks is maybe the best thing in the movie. But also, Emilio Estevez and Brett have to, like, just grab her before the trucks can run her over. Then all the trucks just kind of honk and lights start to blink and shit. Like, they're just like, hey, fuck her. Keep her inside if you want to live. We have dealt with truckism for a long time and weren't able to speak up. And now that we can speak up for ourselves, we'd like it very much if you could keep that truckism inside. We already sent our little uh, turkey slicing handheld carving knife to chop her up earlier. Now she's getting a little mouthy. You want more where that came from? 
Huh? You feeling frisky, toots? About this time, the Bible salesman starts screaming for help from the runoff ditch where he's been laying and slowly dying. And Lisa Simpson's husband says he's going to go save the Bible salesman, who he doesn't know, along with Emilio Estevez. And then Emilio Estevez says, hey, hey, it's like the old joke. You can't get there from here. Bo, is that an old joke? Yeah. Yeah, Chad. It's, uh, hey, uh, so a bunch of assholes are stuck in a diner surrounded by trucks right and one of them is stuck in a drainage ditch right and is screaming for help i'm following you and one of the guys is like hey we should go rescue him and the other one's like we should and the guy says let's just run out the front door and go grab him and the other guy says and you're gonna love this he says uh-uh you can't get there from here that's a good one yeah it's uh you know it's a little sideways it's a little mitch hedberg it's a little left of center deke the red team's mvp he finds a drainage tunnel he's gonna do what i like to call a reversed shawshank to get into the dixie boy truck stop he he, he crawled through 200 yards of piss and shit to get to that diner <laughs> i can't imagine what it smelled like or don't want to separately emilio estevez tells lisa simpson's husband that over in the shower building there are drains that run into this drainage ditch which that's some real suspect plumbing you can't just pour sewage into a drainage ditch well i mean you can but it's illegal well this is north carolina chad the laws are a little loosey-goosey when it comes to where you put your shit but did you ever go in that bar that was on the outskirts of the hometown that you and i i grew up in Mm -hmm. and in the back they had a ladies room and there was a men's room and the ladies room when you open the door there was a toilet in there like you would expect but when you open up the men's room door it just opened up to the back side of the building next to the dumpster no where was that whatever that interstate connector that wasn't the main interstate well i'd be curious to see that so inside they decide hey there's this drain in the showers because it's a truck stop they have showers and Emilio Estevez and Lisa Simpson's husband are gonna take the lead and go to the showers which are gonna lead to a drain which will get them to the ditch Lisa Simpson tells her husband you are not going Curtis and then he's like I am because that way at least I can be close to pee and then they kiss Emilio Estevez and he runs off with a giant rope around one shoulder and he's got a rocket launcher in the other arm and Lisa Simpson's husband has an assault rifle and these two are off to go save the mysterious Bible salesman dude as soon as they do this like that exactly the scene as you've described it except ACDC's for those about to rock starts playing yes as they go down into this smelly tunnel filled with raw sewage water right and this is how maximum overdrive will fool you every time because this sounds like it ought to be a cool scene and it's not they just go to the showers and then they put a rope up and go down a hole and that's all of it as they're going through these shit and piss tunnels lisa simpson's husband says i wonder how many people have peed in this water Because you know the answer is going to make his already raging hard-on all that more turgid. He's never going to fit through the pipe now. Emilio Estevez he slips and falls face down in the water and it like kind of like splashes all up over him and then Lisa Simpson's husband says how does it taste (laughs) and then (laughs) 
<laughs> this dude has a real thing for water sports. He is going to love the internet in 10 years. And high society. <laughs> As they crawl along, they come across a rat. And I'm like, man, I had enough of this the last go round. Keep moving on. Lisa Simpson's husband and Emilio Estevez. But Emilio Estevez, it, when he sees the rat, he's like, hey, Curtis, I'm sending you a friend. And at this point, she's like, they're just playing grab ass in the sewers. Like, they're just having a good time. Outside the sewers, Deke, our superstar home plate sliding red team member, he uh, makes his way over to this drainage ditch and he finds the mangled body of the Bible salesman. And then the the Bible salesman is covered in mud, but he's got his eyes open. He looks dead. Deke puts his ear to the chest of the Bible salesman to see if he's dead. And he surmises that he is not alive. But at the last minute, the Bible salesman just pops up and he screams out, pull me, pull me, get me out of this ditch or by Jesus, I'll kill you. Yeah. I haven't been grabbed that way in a ditch in weeks, Chad. (laughs) <laughs> much less by a dying man and and that's what's going on he's like got a hold of the kid the kid's trying to scramble away and the bible salesman is just you know like got a iron grip on his ankle and sure enough at this point emilio estevez and lisa simpson's husband emerge from the sewer grate and lisa simpson's husband says wow what a blast i wish i could do that every day yeah <laughs> Under different circumstances, he would have dick in hand already. This is the wedding night that Lisa Simpson's husband dreamed of, but never thought that he would actually get. If on my wedding night, I could just crawl through tunnels filled with random people's pee-pee and poo-poo. Oh, it would be just a dream come true. That is the jerk-off fantasy he has that is like, this will never happen. This is like me getting abducted by aliens and fucking a space lady (laughs) or... <laughs> or I like I end up at a truck stop and I gotta crawl through this sewer pipe that is nothing but strangers refuse and fast food wrappers and urine and feces. Bo, he literally says, Wow, what a blast. I wish I could do that every day. Those words come out of this character's mouth. And I'm sure in the script, it like the uh, the parenthetical was sarcastically, but the <laughs> delivery doesn't capture that. It's just like, wow, that was great. That was really, really fun. Uh, look, Emilio Estevez, did you have fun? No, really? How did you not? You were like, you were elbow deep in urine, stranger's urine. Were you not, were you not hard as a fucking rock? All right, man, you're lost. I'm looking forward to the trip back. I got to tell you, I'm, uh, hey, I'm taking the rear. All right. I'll be there five minutes after you guys. <laughs> Emilio Estevez <laughs> looks over and sees Deke and he's like, hey, that's that boy who's the son of a guy that you don't know who died earlier in the movie before you arrived. But anyway, we're going to go get him and take him back to the truck stop. Yeah. And Deke is like, Billy. And you're like, they know each other? Are they what? <laughs> When did this happen? When were when were they like pee pals? Once they get back to the showers, again, trolling through the dream situation that Lisa Simpson's husband loves of tromping through piss and shit. He's like, Curtis, you back there? Y'all go on ahead. He's doing the backstroke in you this just- room. <laughs> ro- <laughs> you just hear a series of very quick splashes. <laughs> 
I feel pretty, oh so pretty. Very well, little brother. Very well. Y'all go ahead. I'm going to stay here and make sure nobody's following us. (laughs) Tell my wife I loved her. Love her? Loved her. E.D. (laughs) I'll make sure no trucks are following us. Y'all see that remote control car from earlier? That could be any one of us. Now go ahead, take my pants. I don't need them. (laughs) Take my pants and my wedding ring. And if you need me, you know where I'll be. So once back in uh, the building with the showers, Deke looks at Emilio Estevez and he's like, Hey, Emilio Estevez, is my dad all right? Where's my dad? I want to tell him how I won the big game today. And Emilio Estevez is like, uh, yeah, about that. Never mind. So our trio runs back to the Dixie boy, but not before Emilio Estevez decides to blow up a truck with yet another rocket launcher. Yeah, they, they could have easily made it inside. This is just a, hey, while we're here... Sure, it's it's classic Chekhov's rocket launcher. <laughs> well, we've already seen it go off twice. Not in the hands of Emilio Estevez. Eh, fair enough. Fair enough. Deke then asks again, this time to a larger group, Hey, where's my dad? I love him so much. I just want to hug him and have him see me with his clear, beautiful, kind blue eyes. Where's my dad, everybody? And then Pat Hingle comes in and he says, like, I say, I say, your dad Duncan got pancaked by one of them big boys out there. Don't worry, though. He was blinded earlier by diesel fuel, so he didn't see it coming. Probably felt it, though, but only for a second or two, but he's He's dead. I never believed in the soul until I saw him get hit by that car. And I could swear to you, boy, I saw, I say, I saw his soul ascend. Also, tough break. (laughs) Which is an actual line. He's like, tough break, kid. Deke says, is it true? Which I was like, good for this kid. Questioning authority at such a young age. That's not a bad trait to have. And then Brett, the prostitute with a straight razor in her boot, she comes over and smacks Pat Hingle because he's a real jerk. And then outside the the truck stop, and then outside the truck that Emilio Estevez blew up with his rocket launcher, it's leaking fuel or it might be milk. All of this should mean something, but it doesn't. No, uh, we do get a military jeep kind of thing, like a gun cart with a machine gun mounted on it and a bulldozer trucking down the highway on their way to the Dixie Boy. Yes. Deke is the first one to kind of spot something afoot and wakes up brett and uh emilio estevez who were fucking on the cot again Uh uh-huh and the bulldozer clears away the wreckage of the truck that emilio estevez blew up and probably the trucks that pat hingle blew up the day before right and then one of the best moments in the movie a random dude who has just been in the diner busts through a set of double doors and yells (laughs) what in the fuck is going on there are a lot of random truckers that don't have names and they all look like each other just saying crazy shit like that throughout this movie (laughs) it's pretty great you think stephen king met these guys the night before and was like i'm making a fucking movie out on 441 it's the dixie boy yeah that did you read about it in the papers come out there i'll put you in the movie or these are all his dealers they all ebb and flow but the end of the movie when our band of merry not dead shitheads all make their way to the sailboat i didn't recognize half of those people in this film there are essential characters in this movie who 
whose name I don't think you ever know. It's it's that kind of bad. In this scene, our little green military style car has this mounted machine gun on top of it and it shows up alongside its bigger bulldozer spike buddy and the little green military car aims the machine gun at the Dixie boy and as the bulldozer is like clearing off all of the blowed up 18 wheelers it then moves over and smashes Pat Hingle's Cadillac right into the Dixie boy and Pat Hingle he gets all pissed off and he runs to his weapons cache down in the basement and he grabs yet another rocket launcher. Pat Hingle comes out and he fires the rocket launcher at the bulldozer and blows it up. This prompts the machine gun car to just start firing rounds into the Dixie boy killing Pat Hingle and a bunch of the aforementioned nameless truckers. Yeah, a lot of characters a lot trimming a lot of fat off this movie real fast. What happens when this gun runs out of bullets? Who reloads it? Uh, Here's the answer, Bo. It's nobody. Yeah, well, it does, you know, look, the the trucks, <laughs> plural apostrophe plan here is not necessarily foolproof. Like, <laughs> the trucks have not proven themselves to be the, the smartest of adversaries. No, it's a real get em. Once again... In the movies that we cover, we we come back to a place where the villain's plan seems to be get him. Wanda June runs out into the open courtyard and gives an Oscar-worthy performance where she screams out yet again, You sons of bitches! And she's got a rocket launcher. Everybody's got a rocket launcher in this movie. Well, she's got a rocket launcher under her arm and she screams out, We made you! Did you not listen to the opening song? You can't do this to us! We made you! Yeah, and then the machine... Machine gun rightfully turns on her and just opens fire. But as she gets blowed up by bullets, she fires the rocket launcher, which blows up a Miller truck. It's filled with delicious light beer from Miller. Light beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. And now on fire. <laughs> Then the gun cart starts honking and Deke says, hey, I think that's Morse code. I got my merit badge in that over the summer or whatever. And somebody give me a piece of paper. And they're like, what? And he's like, give me a goddamn piece of paper. They're like, Jeez, Deke, here. Then he translates the Morse code being broadcast by the gun cart, which reads, someone will pump gas. Someone will not be harmed. Do this now or you will all die. Mm-hmm. And then Joe is like, well, hey, we can't do it no way. There ain't no power or nothing. Right, just like that power comes on. Everybody's like, Joe, you dumbass. (laughs) You suck. And then Emilio Estevez immediately surrenders. Is like, all right, let's go turn on the pumps and gas these trucks up. I like that Brett, the prostitute, who has a degree in political science, she goes to Emilio Estevez and she says, you can't do this. It's like Neville Chamberlain giving into the Nazis. And for those who don't know, Neville Chamberlain served as British Prime Minister from 1937 to 1940. And he's best known for the policy of appeasement towards Adolf Hitler's Germany. And he signed the Munich Agreement in 1938, relinquishing a region of Czechoslovakia to the Nazis. But a year later, in 1939, Britain ended up declaring war on Germany. I'm not sure that her comparison is quite accurate as the acts of aggression on behalf of the humans in this film tantamount uh, to a declaration of war against the machines. I mean, even ignoring that, the machines in this movie, they've all but declared war on the humans. So it's really not an accurate analogy, really. That is insightful. And that is the reason that we are the number five. 
podcast of something. <laughs> Emilio Estevez agrees to go out and fuel up all these trucks. I still don't know why. On his way out, he throws up. On his way out, he throws a red and white checkered tablecloth over Wanda June's uh, waitress corpse. That is the official waitress burial shroud, in case anyone is interested. Yeah, checkered tablecloth. Like, she died as she lived under grease. That sounds about right. So, yeah, he goes out there and is, like, waving the white flag to the trucks. And this is where Stephen King just openly admits he has a cocaine problem. Uh-huh. Where Emilio Estevez strolls out to the pumps and he leans against the Green Goblin truck. And he's like, hey, spread the word. I got the best <laughs> shit on the East Coast, practically uncut. And the Green Goblin truck like revs up and the eyes glow and shit. Uh-huh. Then Hell's Bells by ACDC begins playing, which is also cool. Then there's a montage of just pumping gas. So there are 14 minutes left in this movie. And I am still unclear as to the plot of this film. It's Dude, it's crazy how close to the end of this movie we are, and really nothing of substance has happened yet. Like, it's all entertaining as shit, but it doesn't mean anything at all. During this day of pumping gas in the hot, hot sun, Emilio Estevez, he gets all tired because it's like 100 plus degrees outside, and he makes his way inside, and he lays down on the cot next to that wall of porno, and Brett, the prostitute with a cool, damp cloth, she kind of like, you know, dabs his head and here emilio estevez does a really good impression of his brother charlie sheen and he starts rambling all kinds of cosmic heat induced fever dream inspired nonsense and emilio estevez says that comet is a broom and that's a race of aliens up in the sky and they're looking for a new place to live and they're sending in interstellar house cleaners to sweep out the humans and kill everybody by using their own machines against us winning Now, this could all be chalked up to good old-fashioned nonsense and heat stroke were it not for the end of this movie, which seems to lead credence to this pile of words that amount to nothing. So here's the alien's plan, Chad. We're going to, I guess, engineer a comet in such a way that its tail brings machines to life to destroy their owner. And it's... And it's only good for eight days. Yeah. And then after those eight days, me and the rest of my alien pals, uh, we we swoop in and we got to plan it all to ourselves. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. I love it. I love it. (coughs) Best on the East Coast. Whoa. You know, at some point. Let's go run a mile. Dude, at some point in Stephen King's life, one of his dealers said, this is the best shit on the East Coast, practically uncut, and it ended up in maximum overdrive. Of course. Shit, I think that guy helped him write the screenplay. He was just uncredited. I mean, one way or another, he did. (laughs) Whether he was in the room or not, he contributed to the script. Emilio Estevez and Handy, the guy that owns the Green Goblin truck, they're wandering around, and Emilio Estevez explains his plan to put everybody down into the tunnels to escape away from the dixie boy and in the scene emilio estevez pulls a grenade out and he tosses it onto the small green you know machine gun car and he spins the machine gun around and then that vehicle blows up by way of grenade and at this point all of the 18 wheelers they're still circling the dixie boy and all the people inside decide they're gonna make their way out through these tunnels underground and escape away so off they go and lisa, lisa Simpson simpson's is- husband is like me first and me last (laughs) 
Just cannonballs. Sploosh. <laughs> and shake your, shake your foundation starts to play. And, and our heroes uh, are, are making their way into and out of this drain. <laughs> then the trucks start barreling down on the Dixie Boy and just flattening the place. The bulldozer is getting in on the action. The whole place is going up in a, a truck filled with like nitrogen or something. This is how they basically strike the set on maximum overdrive. Everybody gets in an 18-wheeler and they just smash the shit out of everything. Right. Where are stunt people? You get a semi, you get a semi, you get a semi, drive into that thing. Making this movie had to be an awesome experience. Sure. I'm sure it was a headache. Like some of the, like, hey, there's a remote control truck here. I'm sure that was an incredible headache. But during this scene where there are just 18 wheelers smashing into this building and they're like, they're knocking over the overhang that covers the gas pumps. And at the end of this scene, they just fucking blow the shit out of the Dixie boy and just turn it into shreds of nothing. And then it's just flaming rubble. It's fantastic. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir chat. I know I'm, I'm with you. It is awesome. It is one of those non CGI big scale explosions that feels still visceral. Like when you see that thing go up, it's really impressive. So everybody from the Dixie boy, um, who isn't dead, they all tromp off into, by the way, Chad, if I may, there's what four minutes in this movie left. It's, it's shocking how little is left and how much we're going to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah, so the, the survivors have escaped. They're cutting through the grass to a marina where we're uh, doing Emilio Estevez's plan of we're going to get a sailboat, go to this place called Haven. Right. But the Green Goblin truck, using its Green Goblin sense or something, is like... Who knows? Just keep going. It's like, I think I know where they're headed and I'm going to go fuck them up. It passes by one of my favorite little like side jokes in the movie. There is an airplane, presumably the one playing Flight of the Valkyrie, like nose first into a school bus yeah it's pretty awesome that's pretty good so the survivors end up pausing like in the back of a fast food place where they're directly in front of the order screen which starts barking at him like humans here humans here humans here and the kid deke takes a machine gun and shoots up the sign he's like this is for my dad and he he shoots the the burger king sign and then he immediately gives the gun to brett and says i don't want this anymore it's like what you wanted to exact your vengeance on a fast food order taker and that is that's your square with machines now you don't need violence what makes less sense is that in the next scene lisa simpson's husband teams up with brett the prostitute who will probably let you watch her pee if the price is right and these two blow up the ice cream truck that we saw earlier the one that plays king of the road as it comes around the corner none of this is necessary in the film i think it's just all the props that they had that they needed to somehow discount the value for tax purposes they just had to blow the shit out of or or as he was finishing the script uh stephen king was just like blow it up blow it up blow them all up so our band of survivors most of which do not have names they all make their way to this marina and they get on a sailboat and then one of the nameless truckers he runs over and steals a ring off of a dead woman that's hanging out of a car killed by her electric car window by the way he turns around and the green goblin truck is behind him it snuck up on him chad it was sneaky 
I mean, how do you not love this movie? This semi tiptoed up to this dude and was like, oh, I'm going to get him. <laughs> Shh, I'm hunting twuckas. <laughs> so dumb the green goblin truck just floors it and smashes into this nameless trucker that you couldn't give two shits about and kills him yes it just it like there's a big splatter of blood now on the left side of the green goblin because it ran this dude down and then emilio estevez just grabs a rocket launcher right (laughs) One presumes it's the same one, but maybe there were a bunch. And Who Made Who plays again. Yes. I mean, again, you're not getting an argument out of me. As Who Made Who plays, he fires the rocket launcher, which blows up the Green Goblin truck, and it's awesome. And then he gets on the boat, and Brett is like, do you think things are going to be all right? And he's like, you know what, baby? I know everything's going to be all right. And that's kind of it. Is this where I take over? I mean, I would say if you want to talk about this is the, the, the final tag at the end of this movie. And just as lazy as this movie begins, the movie ends with a title card filled with letters forming words that read, quote, <laughs> it's the best. Two days after a large UFO was destroyed in space by a Russian weather satellite, which happened to be equipped with a late... Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, stop right there. Let me just say, Chad, this is all unnecessary. Everything from this point on from Russian weather satellite in quotes, that's all you needed, period. But p- please keep going because all of this is unneeded. Weather satellite in quotes, which happened to be equipped with a laser cannon and a class four nuclear missile. Approximately six days later, the Earth passed beyond the tail of the Rea M exactly as predicted. And then this copy hangs on the screen way too long. It gets kind of uncomfortable Uh where you're just like, should I leave? Go home. The movie's over. Leave. We're done. But then... I mean, I don't want to Irish goodbye this movie, but on the other hand... But then we get another line of copy that just sort of shows up late to the party that says the survivors of the Dixie Boy are still survivors. And then the last line of dialogue in this film is given to Lisa Simpson, who is still nagging her husband. And she says, as mentioned earlier, when are we going to get off this boat? You know I get seasick. I'm going to wolf my cookies. And then she vomits. And then, Chad. She was a fast machine. She kept her motor clean. She was the best damn woman that I ever seen. She had a sightless eyes telling me no lies. Knocking me out with those American thighs. Taking more than a share. Had me fighting for air. She told me to come, but I was already there. Cause the walls were shaking. The earth was quaking. My mind was aching and we were baking and you shook me all night long yeah you shook me all night long and then credits and that's it and you're just like this movie is garbage 
<laughs> I disagree. I think this movie is is if if this movie is garbage, <laughs> I am a raccoon, Chad. I'm the Sly Cooper of Maximum Overdrive. Look, this movie is stupid. There is no getting around that. Like when when Stephen King says it's a moron movie, he's not wrong. But every now and again, it's a little fun to be stupid. Uh, Weird Al himself once said, "Chad, we should dare to be stupid." And I would say this movie not only dares to be stupid, it uh, it succeeds famously it is a, 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 a dumb movie but it's just so crazy the lawnmower chasing the kid on the bike and the guy busting it what the fuck is going on like there are so many little moments where i'm just like i i can't believe this is in a real honest to goodness movie even stephen king like you know, this machine just called me an asshole you know it's <laughs> i gotta tell you right now in my head i'm stack ranking the six movies from this season because i've seen our next film already and i'm i'm putting them in order and i gotta tell you there's a good chance this may be my number one i can't say that until we discuss number six but you might i think you may have convinced me this may be my number one i know what my number six is sure we all do (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think this movie is it, it like I'm it's a hometown favorite for me where everything about it is the right kind of white trash that I really enjoy it's got truckers it's got a truck stop it's got killer trucks they kill a child they kill a dog that remote control car shoved into that dog's mouth is one of the best things (laughs) that has ever happened in movies so yeah I love this movie unabashedly I think it's wonderful I think everyone should see it if you've never seen Maximum Overdrive holy shit you need to drink a six pack of Bud Heavy before (laughs) you hit play and then once once you've got a six pack of Budweiser beer in your gullet then you're ready call me <laughs> call me and then we'll watch maximum overdrive together because i can watch this movie kind of anytime you know what this movie doesn't have it doesn't have any academy award winning or academy award nominated actors no you know what movie does have academy award winning actors and academy award nominated actors and emmy nominated actors our season finale man we're talking about stacked deck here chad look we're talking about uh stephen king first of all not in the director's chair that's a good sign thank god yeah so we're talking about Firestarter. we got drew barrymore we we got your uh david keith not your keith david your david keith big difference yeah very big difference uh you got uh george c scott oh my god Mm -hmm. george c scott he's gonna be showing up uh you got martin sheen father of emilio estevez people it's not like we don't plan this show. But it's it's filled with great actors. Art Carney is yes. in this movie. I'll tell you, I think we both agree. Because there was some debate whether Maximum Overdrive or Firestarter was going to be the finale. And as we were talking about it, and we got more and more excited about how great Firestarter is. So I, I think that it's going to be a great discussion. Uh, about a movie that we both agree is ridiculous and kind of great. I agree. And it also made me hate the streaming series Stranger Things even more than I already do. And I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> Here's what you can do to make yourself feel better. You can go to uh, pick6movies.com where you have a, uh, a, 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 a panoply of 
roughly a cornucopia of episodes of this here show and you can leave us feedback and all that stuff and most importantly you can subscribe to the show on the podcast catcher of your choice uh, and be here for the finale next week I think that sounds like a fantastic idea I'll do all of that between now and then so come back and see us in two weeks time when we will be bringing you Firestarter the season finale of this season's theme Hail to the King Baby featuring six motion pictures inspired by the writings of the one and only Stephen King. Bo, any final thoughts on Maximum Overdrive? Firestarter! Firestarter! I have to go pee now.